Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. It is so good to be back here at Arise. You know, the last time I was here, I spoke about the first advent of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I have the privilege of leading you into a new series on the second advent or the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, what he taught often about his second coming, he often likened it to a wedding. He likened it to a marriage. And he calls you his bride. Have you ever just stopped to think of the astonishing fact that Jesus wants to marry us? Have you ever really just thought about that? That the God of the universe looks down at you and he calls you his bride. You know, I just got back from Puerto Rico for a wedding on Monday. And it is a beautiful place. I don't know, is anybody here from Puerto Rico? Family from Puerto Rico? All right, I just want to let you know that if you're from Puerto Rico, uh, you grew up in paradise. Now, that place is beautiful. And as I was there in the, on, the, on a beautiful day, the wedding is happening, and as we watched the bride come down the aisle, I'm watching the, the bridegroom as he's there standing at the altar, and my mind flashed back to October, I'm gonna get it right, October 29, 2006, uh, when I watched my beautiful bride, Deidre, walk down the aisle in South Florida, and as she's coming closer to the altar, the smile on my face is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, if she was here, she would tell you I was smiling the entire service, all the way into the, the reception. Now, why was I smiling the way I was? Well, because I was anticipating that thing. You know, I'm watching some of my friends right now on Facebook. Some of them are getting married or are about to get married. And I love just watching them as they're counting down the months and then they're counting down the weeks and the weeks turn into days before the event and they're excited. Why are they excited? Because they're anticipating the event. And God is no different. Our God is no different. Our God is desiring for his bride to anticipate his second coming. As a matter of fact, he wants you to anticipate it even more with even greater intensity than a wedding because he's anticipating it. You know, it's why God often uses wedding imagery to capture his desire to come and rescue his bride from this earth. And so he likens you to a bride. Now, in this story that we're going to consider today in Matthew 25, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 25, 1 to 13, in this story today that we're going to consider, he doesn't just liken you to a bride. He uses another uh, uh, word picture, imagery, all right, simile. He likens you to virgins. He likens you to bridesmaids, 10 of them, if you will. And as he's describing the experience of these 10 virgins, 
He tells us 10 things, excuse me, he tells us two things about these virgins. There are some wise virgins and there are some foolish virgins. Now all of them have lamps and all of them are waiting in anticipation for the coming bridegroom. But there's a problem with these uh, virgins, if you will, beginning in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 3. Because here he begins to break down for us why some were wise and why some were foolish. He says in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 3, he says, Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now pay close attention to verse 5. But while the bridegroom was, what is that word? Delayed. Only half of them slumbered and slept. No? Uh, only, the, only the foolish slumbered and slept. Is that what your version says? I think I have the uh, New King James here. Uh, my version says that all of them slumbered and slept. All of them. They started out well. They were excited. As a matter of fact, this is picturing here the church just before Jesus Christ returns. And you got to understand that uh, weddings in the time of Christ is a lot different than they are today. Okay? And so Ellen White, as she's talking about this scene, she says that Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. And if you're reading Matthew 24 and 25, he is continuing his discourse on the last day events with his disciples. And he's looking off in the distance. And he sees in Jerusalem a scene beginning to transpire, uh, transpire as the, the sun is setting. And as the sun is setting, he's seeing a, a bridal party beginning to gather, and there are some virgins that are there. And as Jesus often would do, he uses experiences that are in the everyday life of his listeners to depict a story that will package a gospel truth in it. And so as he's viewing this scene, he begins to teach what's going to happen before he comes. And so I love how Ellen White just describes this thing. She says that, well, what happened back in the day is basically the bridegroom would go from his house, all right, his pad, his crib, and then he would go all the way to the father of the bride's house with a procession of people that are celebrating in the bridal party. They would go to the father of the bride, and that's where she lived, okay? And then he would receive his bride from the father, and we kind of do something similar today, like who's giving away this bride, right? He would receive the bride, and then the procession, the celebration, would begin from the father's house and go all the way to the house of the bridegroom. And it's along the way people are waiting to join the procession. And this is what Jesus and the 12 disciples are looking at. They're watching this scene of these 10 virgins, and they're waiting to hear if the bridegroom is going to come, because what's going to happen is... As as soon as they join the procession, they're going to go all the way to the, bridegroom, to the bridegroom's home, and then there's going to be a banquet. I'm talking about serious party time. As a matter of fact, the, the, 
the, the weddings in the time of Christ were not like ours today. As a matter of fact, ours today, we would have a ceremony, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon, and you maybe have an hour, hour and a half, and then maybe you have a reception for like a couple of hours or three hours if you're really serious about partying. And then everybody goes home, and then the couple goes off to their honeymoon. In the first century, the wedding was a, at minimum a week and up to often nine days, okay? So when they go to this banquet hall, you're talking about every evening and every night for the next nine days straight of serious party time, okay? And so this is what they're witnessing, and Jesus uses this, and he incorporates it into teaching us what we need to do to be in anticipation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. So as we get ready to dive into this right now, I just want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we ask God to be the one to speak to us. God, right now, Lord, we're just asking that your spirit rest and abide here because, God, there's something that I believe you want us to hear today. And so, Lord, give us focus, give us attention, help us to be right here with you in the word and hear what you have to say, not the speaker, but what you have to say today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Living in anticipation, living in anticipation. Jesus paints the picture for us. And he's showing us that it wasn't just because we're often when we look at this, we're often inclined to want to be hard on those five foolish virgins. We really we immediately think, you know, nobody wanted to be the foolish virgins in the story. Did you know? Did you did you notice that <laughs> nobody wanted to be the foolish virgins? But notice the Bible says all of them slept. The ones with oil. And the ones without oil fell asleep. There was a delay, and they went to sleep. I want you to pay very close attention this morning, family. The God of heaven is calling today for his bride to arise out of slumber and wake up. He's calling us to wake up. We need to wake up. The time in which we're living right now is a time for us to wake out of slumber and arise out of our sleep. We need to wake up. The, 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 the church is arguing right now over some petty issues. We need to wake up. Uh, people are actually getting shot today in the back, uh, unarmed, dead. We need to wake up. Uh, there are people right now that are getting martyred, 148 of them. Okay on a regular overseas, like we need to wake up for real, for real. Um, we're being very easily distracted right now by empire and social media, which I love, I confess, and, and um, all kind of the cares of this life, we just need to wake up. We have a bride right now that God is basically saying we're asleep. And guess what, it's okay to confess that, all right? We need to wake up. What God is saying is if you want to live in anticipation of my soon coming, you've got to awaken out of your slumber. Um, I try to be very selective with the kind of movies that I do watch. And I have this thing, it's my guilty pleasure. I have this thing for animated features, okay? So please forgive me. And Despicable Me 2 is coming out. And so I told my wife, I said, we need to go see this. And she's like, that's all right. So we decided to make it into a, a date night. And so, and so we go, and uh, 
I chose a particular theater that was not too far from us uh, that had reclining seats in it. And uh, I should have knew I was in trouble right there. Because it wasn't even 15 minutes into the film. And I just kind of leaned back and dozed off to sleep. My wife's nudging me, and I'm waking up you know, as if I'm following the plot. You know, yeah, yeah, oh, <laughs> wow, you know. And then not long after, I'm just kind of just falling back to sleep. When I woke up, I was so mad. I had paid money to see this thing, and I missed it. And then, not long after that, we had some, uh, some family over, and the family had some kids, and it was finally available on Verizon Fios, you know, on demand, and so we decided to watch it with the kids, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, I got this. I'm paying for it. We're here with the kids. Let's get into this thing. I'm sitting here with the kids. We're having fun. We're laughing, and then about 30 minutes into it, I fall asleep again. I'm excited about seeing this movie, and I fall asleep. Then last year's summer, Deidre goes away for about a week, and I'm by myself, don't have my baby, and so I'm going, all right, I'm gonna try watching this thing one more time. I'm gonna pay for it the third time. And I, pl I put it on, Verizon Bios On Demand, started watching it, got about halfway into it. I'm laughing hysterically. And then I fell asleep the third time. This time I got up and I was like, no, 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 no. I am waking up. I'm gonna put it back to where I was. I'm gonna watch it. I got some food. I started eating to kind of keep myself awake, to kind of keep myself alert, and finally made it through the movie. Then, Night at the Museum 3 came out, the last performance by Robin Williams. I said, Deidre, let's go see it. We went back to the theater with the reclined seats. <laughs> Fell asleep. <laughs> I did wake up to see the last performance, though, of Robin Williams, and that was, that was pretty powerful, but I don't understand the plot leading up to any of that. <laughs> I was fast asleep. Now, how is it that you can actually pay for something, look forward to something, be excited to see it, and then fall asleep. Deidre and I have been talking about recently, she's telling me, I, I know some couples that have actually been so exhausted from the wedding day that come honeymoon night, they fall asleep. Tired. How is it that you can spend all that money, be so excited, be building up the anticipation, and then fall asleep? The Bible says they all fell asleep. It's very easy for us to be automatically upset with the five that were foolish, but even those that had the oil fell asleep. You know, in the 90s, as we were getting closer to the year 2000, you remember the Y2K buzz? Man, I was, I was like, man, Jesus is coming straight up year 2000, the apple's going <laughs> to drop, everything is going to go crazy, and then the biblical rapture is going to happen. You know, like, you know, Jesus is going to come, and then, you know, not the secret rapture, don't get me wrong. And, and I was living in that anticipation that he was going to come. Then the year 2000 came. Nothing happened. It wasn't as eventful as I thought it was going to be. And I went to sleep with the rest of the world spiritually. Then September 11th came. And I'll never forget that day. As a matter of fact, we were working uh, on a contract with, um, this is before I became a pastor and all this kind of stuff. This is when I was working with Orbitz when they had just came out. And we were actually booking some of these flights. And man, when that, when that thing happened, man, they just sent us all home. Just go home. And uh, you know, I'll never forget. It's not, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny when I think about it. There was this lady who was a manager. 
And uh, the moment that whole thing went down, man, she just got a whole bunch of tracks out. You need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. And so I just remember that. So they sent us home, and I'll never forget, man. I was like, yo, Jesus is straight up coming. Like, I'm talking about a week, maybe. You know, I could have swore that same day I saw a plane flying overhead. I was like, there's not supposed to be any planes in the sky right now. Jesus is coming back. My mom, my brother, we all got together in the living room. And we just prayed. We were like, Jesus, just we want to be ready, Jesus. That weekend, I mean, people just packed churches all over the country. Give it some time, man. We went back to sleep. We went back to sleep. Have you ever been tired? Have you ever been sleepy? And if you're like me, <clears throat> when I am spiritually asleep, and sometimes in the combination of being physically tired, I'm the most vulnerable to falling into temptation. Do not catch me hungry, sleepy, and didn't have enough devotional time with Jesus. That's just a bad combination. And we need, what Jesus is saying is if you really want to live in anticipation, you need to be alert. Romans 13, 11. Romans 13, 11. Paul is saying to us in Romans 13, 11. <clears throat> Romans 13, 11. He's saying in, in, in Paul's kind of straightforward manner, he says in verse 11, and do this, all right? And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake we could say here, arise. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is what? It's nearer than when we first believed. The soon second coming of Jesus Christ is nearer than when you first accepted Jesus Christ. Than when you first joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Jesus is soon to come. And don't get caught falling asleep is what Jesus is saying. He needs you to be awake, both the foolish and the wise, that were looking for Jesus Christ to come, anticipating that Jesus would come. These were not hypocrites. These were people that were like, yeah, I believe Jesus is coming back. I profess that. He says, wake up. He says, wake up. Now let's look at what Jesus describes as what brought them abruptly out of this slumber. Back in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 6. It says, and at midnight, which by the way, Ellen White commenting on this says that it's at that time in history when midnight, midnight by the way, is when it's darkest. In Earth's history, when Earth's history reaches its darkest, that is when the bridegroom is going to return. And so, at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. I love the uh, King James, go ye out to meet him. <laughs> then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. They all got up. And now in verse eight, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But watch this in verse nine. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy 
for yourselves. Do they sound a little selfish to you kind of right there? Like, man, they're just kind of holding on to their own oil. You see, but Jesus has something very intentionally wants us to know. You see, all of them fell asleep, yes. They all fell asleep. You see, but the wise recognized, I need some oil. The wise, the, the wise virgin said, I can't depend on yesterday's experience. You follow me? I can't depend on that Arise service from last week or that wonderful, powerful experience last year. I've got to have a continual burning. I've got to have enough oil so that I can keep the fire going, even in the case of an emergency, even in the midst of a delay. Though he delay, or what seems as an apparent delay, I need to have enough oil. Even though they fell asleep, because they had the oil. When the announcement came, they were ready. I'm going to pass this around. I got this actually from Jerusalem. This is actually what a lamp would have looked like for these virgins that Jesus was, is talking about here in this parable. So I'm just going to start here and just pass it around. You can take a look at it. This is about the size that they would have had. And so Jesus is letting us know here two very important things about the oil. You see, if you're going to live in anticipation of the soon coming of the bridegroom, then you're going to need the continual infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'll never forget, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the young adult retreat that was like really popular for a while, God Encounters. Um, I was in Florida when that thing was kind of just kind of kick-starting. And I remember every single year my wife and I would go to the God Encounters young adult retreat. It was like an annual spiritual oasis. It was a powerful experience. I mean, by the time that thing was over, nobody wanted to go home. It was Sunday afternoon, and everybody's just kind of lingering around, kind of hanging out, because nobody wanted to transition back into everyday life, kind of like the, the regular mundane routine. You know, you kind of get a little bit of a depression kind of afterwards, because you're like, man, that was so powerful. So what ends up happening is you start living for the next one, and you start living for the next retreat. It was so powerful that my wife and I now, we're not super spiritual, I'm not as holy as you guys may, may think, um, but we ended our honeymoon at this retreat because of the timing. I mean, we were in Key West and Disney, and then we ended it at the spiritual retreat. So it was just that powerful for us, right? But then you get back, and if you have a powerful worship experience like Arise, then you're starting to live from worship experience to the next worship experience. Or if there's like sermons you really like from a particular speaker or preacher online, you're going from sermon to sermon. Or if you've got a really like, you know, deeply spiritual spouse, like maybe Hector has and Orlando has, you know, very deeply spiritual spouse or that, that really spiritual friend or boyfriend, girlfriend, and you just want to be around that person, that elder, that pastor. Man, they're just so on fire for God. And you feel like being in their presence, somehow that's just going to rub off on you like osmosis, Vanessa. You see, but at some point, spiritual maturity says, I've got to have that experience of the indwelling, burning fire and passion of the Holy Spirit every day. Not just from Sabbath to Sabbath, and I'm just going to live for the next high, live for the next fix. Jesus wants us to know we need the continual personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
That's the first lesson of these, of these foolish virgins. They, they did not have enough to keep them going every single day. Jesus is trying to say, you need that indwelling Holy Spirit every day. I need it every day or I am in trouble. If there is any day that I am operating without the Spirit of God, I'm not surrendered. You know, this kind of flows out of your devotional experience. As you begin your day, you're saying, God, I just want to surrender to the indwelling Holy Spirit today. I want you to take full control. I surrender my will to your will. You lead today, Jesus. But the second thing that Jesus is teaching us here, and this is where I said it kind of sounds a little bit kind of selfish, but you see, the, the, the wise virgins, they go, hey, man, you, you guys got to get your own stuff. You got to get your own experience. You see, my experience, the indwelling Holy Spirit in me, can't transfer over to you. You see, you may be around that really spiritual person. You may have that really spiritual, you know, best friend or spouse. And you guys may even get together and you may pray together. And that's great. You need to do that. And we need to go to church and do all those things. But at the end of the day, in Jamaica, we have this saying, so please forgive me. I'm Jamaican-American, so. Um, we have this saying, and it's every tub must sit on its own bottom, right? Every bathtub needs to sit on its own bottom. In other words, you have to be accountable for your own personal experience. And what Jesus is saying here through this story is, is that the, the, the experience of the pastor and my oil cannot transfer over to you. You see, the experience of Hector can't transfer over to Orlando. It just doesn't work that way. You need to receive the indwelling, burning, continual presence of the Holy Spirit personally for yourself. Have devotion with your spouse, but make sure that you're going and getting your time with Jesus in yourself too. You know, the, the, Old, Testament, the Old Testament sanctuary service was teaching us about this continual burning and indwelling of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis the entire time. So if you remember the, the, the sanctuary, basically it begins out in the outer court, right? The first thing that you see when you walk into the court, you see that, what, the altar of burnt sacrifice, right? And that's symbolic of Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf, right? Extravagant grace, amen? But after you receive Jesus Christ, now the next thing that you see when you leave that altar of burnt sacrifice is the labor. Right? That's where they would wash and so forth before they went into the holy place. That's symbolic of after you've received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, now you get baptized and you are immersed in the water as we spoke about this morning. And you come out identifying with the sacrifice you just encountered as soon as you came into the courtyard. Right? So this is describing how you're justified. It's as if you've never sinned in the courts of heaven. Amen? Praise God. But then now you move into the holy place, and that's a holy place experience, right? The first thing you encounter is the showbread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You're connecting with Jesus Christ every day through the study of his word. Amen. And then you move over to the altar of incense, the prayers of the saints. You connect with Jesus Christ daily now through prayer. So the Bible study and prayer, right? But now you move over to, guess what? Now the golden uh, seven branch candlesticks. Okay. And here's where Jesus is locking us in. He's saying, if you notice, if you were one of the disciples seeing this sanctuary, because I mean, literally they could look over and see this thing happening almost every single day. If you're in the sanctuary, in the, in the holy place, and you see the candlesticks, it was to continually be burning all the time, day and night. It was never to go out. 
Because what it was symbolizing is, is that the most, the, the, excuse me, the holy place experience was that the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit was to be continually burning. Something you may not have recognized is that the, the wick for the candles, it was actually made out of the old drawers, rags, underwear of the priests. I'm trying to, be, I'm trying to keep it clean, keep, keep it PG. You know, like your righteousness is like filthy rags. So here's what's supposed to happen. You put the oil and you got the fire and it's to consume the old dirty rags on a continual basis until it's consumed. And it's symbolic of how the Holy Spirit through prayer and the word and now the indwelling Holy Spirit is to consume your old sinful nature and you become a new creature in Jesus Christ. That's the holy place experience. It's that continual indwelling Holy Spirit that consumes the old self, the old ways, and you become a new creature in Jesus Christ. You know, I love what Auntie Ellen says about this in uh, Christ. Ob I, that's what I, I, I love calling her. Auntie Ellen. In Christ Object Lesson, she says this about this experience with the ten uh, virgins. She says, in the parable, now listen carefully to this, in the parable, all the ten virgins went out to meet the bridegroom. All had lamps and vessels for oil. For a time, there was seen no difference between them. So with the church that lives just before Christ's second coming, all have a knowledge of the scriptures, which, by the way, is what the lamp was, sim was symbolizing. All have a not that word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. All have a knowledge of the scriptures. All have heard the message of Christ's near approach and confidently expect his appearing. But as the parable, so it is now. A time of waiting intervenes. Faith is tried. And when the cry is heard, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Many are unready. They have no oil in their vessels with their lamps. They are destitute of the Holy Spirit, she says. Without the Spirit of God, watch this, a knowledge of his word is of no avail. The theory of truth, unaccompanied by the Holy Spirit, cannot quicken the soul or sanctify the heart. One may be familiar with the commands and promises of the Bible, but unless the Spirit of God sets the truth home, the character will not be transformed. Last chapter in, in the book, Christ Object Lessons. So here's the question. Are you depending on yesterday's infilling? Are you depending on yesterday's experience? Are you depending on last week's sermon? I know some Christians that literally live from sermon to sermon. They feel like, man, the way that pastor just breaks down that text. When all the while God is wanting to have an intimacy with you that is fueled and driven by the indwelling Holy Spirit. I'm realizing now that in my devotional life, um, and I highly encourage you to do this, that every day, you spend time with God, you spend time in the word every day. You ask God, please, would you please fill me with the Holy Spirit? Just fill me with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He will answer that request. Now I'm hearing the music and I'm, 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 I'm hearing that uh, we need to begin to start to wrap up. And so here's what I'm gonna do. 
Jesus goes on to connect this infilling of the Holy Spirit with something very profound, but yes, also very sobering. Okay? I want you to pay close attention. It, it initially appears to be very bad news, but it's actually very good news. Pay close attention to verse 10 as we get ready to close. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Verse 10, verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Some of the most sobering words of scripture. And here what Jesus wants you to understand is that if you're going to live in anticipation of the soon coming of Jesus Christ, your bridegroom, you need to know the bridegroom. Like you really need to know the bridegroom. I'm not talking about, you know, I know about the bridegroom, like how I kind of know about Obama. No, you need to actually know, like an intimate acquaintance with his character of love. Like spending time with him in the word and like actually hearing him speak and impress things on your heart. This is not like the Wedding Crashers movie where you can just kind of pop into a, a, you know, a, a wedding and maybe pretend like you know somebody. No, you actually got to know the bridegroom or you're not getting in. Doesn't this sound like in Matthew, if, you know, if we had time, we would read it. But Matthew 7, 22 to 23, you can read it on your own time. Matthew 7, 22 to 23. It reminds you of another class of people, which, by the way, is the exact same class that he's talking about here. They say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? Didn't we, like, cast out devils and prophesy and preach and have amazing ministries that was kind of like sweeping the nation? Like, didn't we do this for you, Lord? And he says, depart from me. I do not know you. And so it becomes abundantly clear that we need to know the bridegroom. Amen? But watch this. Here's the good news. Now, you remember Jesus previously, what he's bringing out is you need to have the oil. Do you know that what he's masterfully connecting is that as you have the oil, remember the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit? Do you know the primary responsibility of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Is to bring you to Jesus. You see, so as you have the oil, the natural result is the Holy Spirit's constantly going to be nudging you to the Savior. Constantly pushing you in the direction of intimacy with Jesus. His primary role is not to talk about himself, but it's to lift up Jesus. And so if you stay with Jesus, he's naturally going to push you more into Christ. You mess up, you fall. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He will push you closer into intimacy with Jesus. Jesus wraps up this entire parable in verse 13. The whole point of the entire parable is verse 13. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Do you know what he's saying? Arise, it's not time to get ready anymore. It's time to live ready. If you want to live in anticipation of the soon coming of Jesus, you've got to live ready. But guess what? It's not in your power. He says, guess what? Wake up. It's real. He's, and by the way, what he's not saying is this is not a call to fear. The Bible says when the Son of Man comes, will he not find faith 
on the earth. Faith is the opposite of fear. If you have an experience of understanding the second coming of Jesus Christ that's producing fear, it's not Jesus. God is not the author of fear. That's the other guy. So when you see these conspiracy theories and things being beginning to break out on the earth, that's not a call to fear. Jesus is saying, press into me. It's a call to faith in Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, watch, be aware, it's happening. Don't duck your head in the sand, but watch and pray. Have faith. Fill your lamp with oil. The Holy Spirit's going to press you into me, and I'm going to make you ready. That's what Jesus is saying today. You know, so I'm here at this cross, right? Because I know that this week, I didn't watch unto prayer. I know this week, I wasn't fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. I'm just being honest with you guys. I know this week, I, I, I wasn't fully in tune with knowing Jesus. You know, I stand here before you by his grace. Amen? And all of us can stand as we sang today in Christ alone, as he is the one that takes charge of making us ready. Now, if you want to symbolically, we may not have time now, but you want to just stand and say, CJ, symbolically, I'm joining you at the foot of the cross right now because I want to live in anticipation. If that's you, would you stand right now? I'm standing kind of representatively for everybody else. But if you're saying, I want to be ready, I don't want to be considered one of the foolish versions. I want to be one of the wise versions. And I know it's not by my strength or power, but it's by the spirit of the Lord that I'm going to be ready. Is that your prayer? Let's bow our heads right now. Father in heaven, Jesus, we thank you so much for the good news of the second coming. God, when you come, it's going to be a, a celebration like none other. Serious party time. But help us to understand that it's, that it's you that's going to make us ready. You're going to complete the work that you have begun in us. So please help us, Lord, to wake up. Help us to pray daily for the reception of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then, Father, may we press into you and get to know you, lest we be shut out of the celebration. The time and the urgency to, deep, to develop a deep abiding relationship with you is right now. So please, arise within us, Lord. Wake us up as your brides that we're ready to receive you, our husband, our bridegroom. In the name of Jesus, seal these decisions today. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description.
Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.